Christ. John chapter number 8 is where we will be today, and then we'll be in John chapter 9. We're actually going to be starting this morning in John chapter number 8, and we'll get into chapter number 9, where we see some interesting phrasing in the Word of God. We're going to be preaching a message entitled, When Jesus Passed By. That very phrase is mentioned at the end of John chapter number 8, can remain seated for God's the reading of God's word. We're just going to read John 8 verse 59 and then we'll read John 9 and verse 1. John 8 and verse 59. Then took they up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. And as Jesus passed by, He saw a man which was blind from his birth. It's interesting how the closing of chapter number 8 deals with Jesus passing by, and the beginning of chapter 9 deals again with Jesus passing by. Two different groups of people, two different different times, two different uh, groups of people here had the Lord pass by, and there's certainly was a different result in each of these lives. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we get into the message. Our Father in heaven, we pray and ask your blessing on this service today. I pray, Lord, that all that we say and do might be honoring and glorifying to your name. And Lord, we do pray that even today you'd pass by the way of some person who's never received you as their Savior. I pray that today might be that day when they'd receive you as Lord in Christ. I pray also, Lord, for you to lift us up and to edify us and encourage the hearts of those that are here. May your word accomplish it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In John chapter number 8, we have a lengthy exchange between the Pharisees and Christ. In John chapter 8, it's a great thing to consider that in the first eight verses, there was a woman who was taken in the very act of adultery and sat in the middle of the Lord. The Pharisees were tempting him. They were a hateful group of people. They wanted harm to come to this woman, which is precisely why they didn't bring the man who was caught in the act to be sat in the midst of the Lord as well. But they took this poor woman and sat her in the midst of the Lord, tempting him. And after the Lord basically dispersed that crowd, he looked at the woman and he forgave her of her sins and told her that he did not condemn her. John chapter number 8, verses number 12 through 20, you find another story where... Uh, where where the Lord was was basically tempted of the Pharisees. All of chapter number 8 is this exchange between the Lord and the Pharisees tempting him and trying to catch him in his words. Jesus, we find, was teaching in the treasury at the temple in verses 12 through 20, where Jesus declared that he was the light of the world. And in verse number 13 of John chapter number 8, they told him that he was lying, that his record was not true. And so... The Pharisees came with him to questions, and they questioned him, and they they mentioned blasphemous things about the Lord Jesus in this exchange. In verse number 22, they asked if Jesus was going to commit suicide. John 8 and verse 22, then said the Jews, will he kill himself? What a terrible thing to think of the Son of God. Jesus didn't come to the earth to kill himself. He came to the earth to give himself as a sacrifice For sins. 
Later in the very same chapter, Jesus is basically uh, focusing on spirituality and those who are spiritual sons of Abraham, where the Pharisees were focused on their own physical pedigree. You see, they felt like as the descendants of Abraham, they had a special place with the Lord. And that by reason of the fact that they were ethnically tied to the Jewish people, that they were automatically saved. But Jesus pointed out in John chapter 8 and verse 44. He said something to the Pharisees when they were pointing out that Abraham was their father. Jesus said, no, Abraham's not your father in this way. Ye are of your father, the devil. Verse 44. This is the Son of God. Jesus, the Son of God, who made no mistakes, who had no sin, who was perfect and holy and honest and upright. There was nothing wrong in him. He said, ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. They were seeking to kill Christ. He, they were seeking to do the lusts of the devil. And you see, even though these folks were religious, they hated the Lord Jesus Christ. This was the context of John chapter 8, where basically Jesus said in verse number, uh, well, you read the exchange between the Pharisees and Jesus in John 8 In verse number 56, he said, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Then Jesus, then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. He was tying... The story in Exodus chapter 3 at the calling of Moses, the very same man that these Pharisees idolized and loved, they loved the writings of Moses, he said the same one that was calling out to Moses is me. He said before Abraham was, I am. We mentioned this this morning in Sunday school, but Jesus Christ's existence did not begin 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. He was existent in eternity past. He was there at the beginning. And when God said, you know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And when God said, let us make man in our own image, Jesus was there. John chapter number 1 says, without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus Christ is the creator, and we should worship him as such. And so, they took up stones to stone him in chapter number 8 and verse number 59. They told Jesus that he was guilty of blasphemy because he claimed equality with the Father. This wasn't the only time that this took place. If you flip your Bible over to John chapter number 10... In verse number 27, just maybe one page over in your Bible, John chapter 10 and verse number 27. The scripture says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Notice what the Jews did in verse 31. They took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them and said, or Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of those works do ye stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy. And because that thou being a man, makest thyself God. 
They said that Jesus Christ was claiming equality with God, and he was equal with God. The Bible says that he took himself of no reputation, but took upon himself the form of his servant. And I thank the Lord that he was willing to condescend to this world, to live in this sin-cursed and violent world for us, and to shed his blood so that we might be saved. By the way, he is the only way that men can be saved. Now you see the response of Jesus here. You see the relentlessness of his enemies. And you see the resilience of the Savior. You see, when Jesus was getting away from this stoning, the Bible says that he went through the midst of them. Somehow he got through. They weren't going to take Jesus before it was his time. His time was not yet come. So he got through this crowd of people that was taking up stones to stone him, and he got out of there. But not long after he got out of there, immediately he returned to his life's purpose without worrying about what was going to happen. And he fixed his eyes on this man that was born blind. Christ was calm. This is how he's so different. You know, imagine yourself getting out of a crowd that's about to kill you. Imagine how you'd be running away. Do you think you'd be very observant on your way out? You think you'd see a guy who was blind from birth and say, Hey, let me stop for a moment and help you on your way through. You know why Christ could do that? Because he knew everything. And this was the response of our Savior. As you consider the character of our Savior, the character of our Savior was calm. He saw a man who was in need, and he met us. He met that need. When confronted with danger, most of us would run for the hills. <laughs> most of us would look for safety. But not, that is not our Lord. One of the things worthy to be noticed of our Lord's character is his wonderful, quiet spirit. Especially the marvelous calmness, calmness in the presence of those who misjudged him, who insulted him and slandered him. He was reviled all the time. Aspersions were cast at Christ all the time. In another exchange with the Pharisees, they said, Say we not well that you're a son of fornication? I wonder where that idea came from. That Jesus Christ was born out of wedlock. Where would that idea come from? It would come from Satan. It would come from Satan himself. But you see the resilience of the Savior. Even the Savior, even when near to death, thinks of nothing but the good of men. When cruel eyes are spying him out, that they may slay him, he has an eye for a poor blind man. And I don't know what you're going through today, but this same Jesus, the one we worship, cares about what you're going through as well. And he has time to stop by your way. Now we may consider the pool of Siloam that we read about here in John chapter number 9. The Bible says in John chapter 9, it says, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin? This man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither had this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went, and, he went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. 
Now there's a lot in that little verse. And there's a lot in this story. You see Jesus getting away from this group who's trying to stone him. He sees a blind man. And as he sees the blind man, no doubt he's beholding him. He's considering him. And his disciples start asking him questions. Who sinned? Now as we consider this pool of Siloam that Jesus told this blind man to go and wash in. The pool of Siloam is an actual physical geological place. The pool of Siloam is a rock cut pool located at the southern end of Jerusalem. Otherwise known in the scripture as the city of David. The pool of Siloam appears in, every, in one place in the Old Testament and two places in the New Testament. John chapter 9 and in John number 11. Obviously the significance of this pool was pointed out in the New Testament when Jesus asked this man to go and wash in the pool after he did this wonderful work. The meaning and significance of this pool, and if you look at the Old Testament, I believe you'll, you'll read about it somewhere around 2 Kings chapter number 20. You find that there was a king, I believe his name was Hezekiah, who brought water into the city. And this water would gush into this pool. In 2 Kings chapter number 20, let's turn our Bibles back there. 2 Kings chapter number 20. You know, it was a marvelous thing in ancient times to have flowing and rushing water into a city. It took a certain king in order to make this happen. 2 Kings chapter number 20 and verse number 20, it talks about the acts of the king Hezekiah. 2 Kings 20 and 20 says, And the rest of the acts of King Hezekiah and all his might and how he made a pool and a conduit and brought water into the city. Are they not written in the books of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? It was Hezekiah who brought this water that flowed into the pool of Siloam. The conduit in verse number 20 is a tunnel that brought water from the Gihon spring into this pool. The pool was located within the walls of Jerusalem. You could read about these things from Josephus. How the, the pool of Siloam was located in the southeast corner of the wall at Jerusalem. We put some pictures up there so that you might see. Even in 2004, they believed they discovered the ancient pool of Siloam. You know, every time people try to archaeologically prove that the Bible is not true, you know what they find? That the Bible is true. You know, the Bible is true. These are physical places. This was actually a place where the man could have stepped down inside the pool or remained outside of the pool and bent down and washed his face uh, and his eyes with the water of that pool. I'm amazed today as we consider what takes place at the things that happened when Jesus passed by. You know, the whole situation, how that the disciples begin to ask him these questions. Jesus takes this man and he spits on the ground and makes clay from the soil and his spit. Now some people might think this is disgusting. Why would someone spit on the ground and make clay and then anoint someone's eyes with the clay? I don't know why Jesus did that. All I know is he did it. And when the guy came back from the pool he was seeing, I'm, I'm thankful for the Lord. I remember preaching a message one time and we were actually in the White House under the previous administration, they had Bible studies on Wednesdays at noon. And I had the privilege to go there with the vice president's staff, sitting around a, a table with a bunch of Baptist pastors, talking about the woman who washed the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ with her tears. 
And one of the vice president's staffers was saying, I just can't understand how she would touch his feet with her hair. The reason she touched his feet with her hair is because she loved him. The reason that Jesus was able to spit on the ground and it wasn't a sign of disrespect to this man, it was to heal him. You see, when the Lord anoints somebody's eyes and says, hey, go wash in the pool of Siloam, it was a good thing for this man to go down there. Because when he went down there, this is a man that the Bible clearly says in John chapter number 9, he was born blind. He was born without sight. And so considering the things that, t- that follow when Jesus passes by, number one, there is teaching. When Jesus passes by, there is teaching. You know, this is one of the commands of Scripture. The Bible says in Matthew chapter number 28, For us as God's people, the Great Commission, go ye into all the world. Well, the Bible, the Bible says, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And I'm going to misquote this, Matthew chapter number 28, so I'm just going to read it. In verse 18, he says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. What are we teaching all nations? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. The first part of the Great Commission is to teach. One of the things we're doing today is preaching and teaching about the Word of God. The Bible says, you know, it doesn't matter what nation you come from, what color you are, what pedigree you have. There's no gospel for white people or black people or Mexican people or African people or Canadian people or Australian people or Japanese people or Chinese people. There's one gospel. There's one Jesus Christ. We have to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You know, there is teaching that follows. There wasn't just teaching on the gospel. But in John chapter number 9, you see that there was teaching by the Lord Jesus Christ because even his own disciples, the Peter, the Jameses, the Johns, those who were his close followers, they were taught and they somehow believed that if someone was born blind, perhaps it was because of their sin. Or perhaps it was because of their parents' sin. And I would like to say this, as an old preacher once stated, that we should never attribute any special sorrow endured by men to some special sin. For you to somehow look at someone's sorrow or suffering or someone's... uh, physical degradation and attribute that to some of their sin, you are being very unkind. And you are being something that's called judgmental in your heart. Jesus rebuked this kind of thinking in this passage of Scripture. Notice the words of Scripture. The disciples asked in verse 2, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. There's a tendency to consider that those on whom the Tower of Siloam fell must have been sinners above all men that were at Jerusalem. And if any met with a very sudden death, we are apt to suppose that they have been exceedingly guilty, but it is not so. This comes from a preacher in the 1800s. He says this, Very godly men have been burned to death in a train. Many holy men have been drowned on board a ship when they've been going about their master's errands. 
Some of the most gracious men I've ever met dropped dead without a moment's notice. I was preaching at a church in Imperial, Missouri. There was a godly woman there getting ready for church, putting her makeup on, getting ready to go to church on a Wednesday night. And without any warning at all, after seeing a doctor and having a physical just the week before, she had a massive heart attack and she was dead before she hit the ground. It was a tragedy to her husband, but the Bible says precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. You see, as she was getting ready to go and worship God at church that Wednesday, God said, today is your great getting up morning. Today is the day that you'll see Jesus face to face. One day our lives are going to end. It's not going to be ending in sorrow, friend, because the Bible says that death has no sting to the Christian. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Death is swallowed up in victory with Christ because we don't die spiritually. We enter into eternal life if we have the Lord Jesus Christ. It is very unkind, ungenerous, and almost inhuman to sit down like the friends of Job and suppose that because Job was greatly afflicted, he must therefore be greatly sinful. God dealt with Job's friends about this at the end. You need to be careful, sir or ma'am, to cast judgment on people who are going through suffering. You ought to be offering comfort and compassion and love to those individuals. All afflictions are not chastisements for sin. There are some afflictions that have quite another end and objective. They are sent to refine us. They're sent as a holy discipline. They're sent as sacred excavators to make more room in the heart for Christ and his love. (laughs) The Bible talks about the Lord chastening those whom he loves. And we may not understand all the things that go on to a special affliction befalling someone. But we know this. God accomplishes his purposes through the afflictions of men. And all of us will go through our measure of affliction. So there was teaching. Jesus taught his disciples. But not only did he teach his disciples that it wasn't this man's sin or his parents' sin, but because the Lord was going to do something in his life at some point so that he could demonstrate his power, there was also healing. Number two, there is healing. Aren't you thankful that there's healing in the Lord Jesus Christ? In this man's life, he was physically blind. We sing the song Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. All of us as people are born in a lost estate. Nobody is born saved. You don't get born, you know, God has no grandchildren. And your last suit will have no pockets. Those two things are two different thoughts, but I just came to my mind and I said it. God help me. God doesn't have grandchildren. That means if your parents are saved, it doesn't mean that you're saved. You have to come to Christ for yourself. But there is healing in the Lord Jesus Christ. As this man was physically blind, the Lord was able to give him sight. And as you are born spiritually blind, the Lord is able to give you spiritual sight if you'll come to Christ in saving faith. Just as this blind man was given his sight, lost men receive sight when they get saved. And aren't you thankful when Jesus passes by? You know, when Jesus passes by, you could get saved. But there are others who Jesus passes by their way, and they don't take the Lord Jesus. They continue going their own way. The Pharisees did. The Pharisees heard the same sermons as those who got saved. 
The Pharisees saw the same things as the people who saw Jesus and believed on him, and yet they walked their own way. I hope that's not your situation. There could be somebody in this room today, and when you die, you will not go to the judgment for the saved. You will go to the judgment for the lost because when you hear, heard the preaching of the Lord Jesus, you didn't receive it with faith. You didn't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you walked your own way. You know, Jesus can pass by and great changes could take place in your life. But to some, when Jesus passes by, there's no change at all. But there's healing. And I want to say today that true spiritual healing comes from Christ. I don't know if you recognize this, but you have a great need for forgiveness. Every one of us. We're born into this life sinners. We become better sinners as we get older. Some people harshly judge teenagers when they make mistakes. It's amazing to me how many people forgot what it was like to be a teenager. And how many mistakes they made as a teenager. You know, when you first start uh, coming into contact with who you are as a person, the lusts of the flesh... You remember how Paul told Timothy to flee youthful lusts? Why do you think he told him to flee youthful lusts? Because there are certain lusts that come upon you when you're a young man or a young woman that you need to run away from. You know why you need to run away from them? Because they will destroy you. Lust doesn't build your life. Lust destroys your life. Lust doesn't build a marriage. Lust destroys a marriage. And this whole world is built on Satan and his system. And Satan says lust is the way to go. If you see something, indulge in it. If it feels good, do it. But the Bible says, and Jesus said, you should keep those things in reserve. You know, the Bible says this, and I'd like to say this to all you young people who are entering into your 20s. We have a day of what we would call prolonged adolescence going on today. It's happening because you young people are very internet-driven, phone-driven, site-driven. People are not finding fulfillment in marriage these days. They're finding fulfillment in their phones and in their social media experiences. Young people, it's much different today than what it used to be. But I don't find any benefit for young people who remain single throughout their 20s, jumping in and out of relationships. That's not how God designs it. When God puts these things in your heart, and it is natural, for you to think that it's not natural for a man or a woman to want to be with someone of the opposite gender, you're not reading your Bible. This is how God creates us to be. It is actually something that comes into our hearts as God puts it there. And if you have a desire for someone of the opposite gender, you're acting normally. But you need to reserve your passions until you are mature enough to take care of someone. You know, there's a responsibility in marriage. When I got married, my pastor was like, there's privileges of marriage. One of those privileges that, we, that, that we, we enjoy comes with a great responsibility. There's a responsibility on a man's part to provide for his spouse. To love her in sickness and in health, in poverty and in wealth. To keep himself from all others. There's a covenant in marriage. God says that this is good. But all of us need, what we're coming from is that all of us need forgiveness. And if you can't see from the thoughts that you had when you were 13, 14, and 15, that you thought things you shouldn't have thought, you need forgiveness for that. Some of you who are far older than teenagers need forgiveness for things you've thought of 
this week. The Bible says that the thought of foolishness is sin. The Bible says that if you look and lust after someone, you've committed adultery already in your heart. We as people stand in need of forgiveness. And I'm thankful today that there is spiritual healing in Jesus Christ. He stands ready to forgive if you confess. Number three, not only is there teaching when Jesus passes by, and there's healing when Jesus passes by, but number three, there's controversy. In chapter number 9, in verses 13 through 34, you see that the Pharisees started this inquisition and questioning of this man. Is this the same one that was begging? Is this the same one who was blind? And they, they went through this inquisition to determine what had taken place. Because as Jesus Christ often did, he often chose the Sabbath day to heal people. The day of worship, and boy did it inflame the Pharisees. It inflamed the Pharisees so much that they began to accuse Jesus. There was a man in the, in, in the New Testament that had a withered hand and it was on the Sabbath day. And Jesus healed him. And Jesus was asking questions like, do you think it's wrong to do something good on the Sabbath day? It's an amazing thing. How that these Pharisees came. And they accused Jesus Christ. Of these things. They weren't rejoicing in the fact that a blind man who was born blind was now seeing. They wanted to know why in the world would you do something good on the day of worship? These guys were truly blind. Notice in verse number 13 then they brought, then brought to the Pharisees him that was aforetime was blind. And it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. And again the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. And he said unto them, He put clay upon my eyes, and I washed and do see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God. This man is not of God. Because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. He didn't follow their rules. You think Jesus who created the Sabbath day knew what he was allowed to do on the Sabbath day? These these folks thought they could sit in judgment of the Savior. I would encourage you not to do that. How can a man, others said, how can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? That's a good question. And there was a division among them. They say unto the blind man, what sayest thou of him that he hath opened his eyes? He said, he is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called his parents of him that had received his sight. See, this guy's blind. Now he sees. We don't believe he was born blind. So now they're going to call the guy's parents. Verse 19, and they said unto them, saying, Is this your son, who ye say was born blind? How then doth he now see? Boy, are these guys blind or what? This is a great miracle that took place. His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But by what means now he seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age, ask him. He shall speak for himself. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. They were reading the scene. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was the Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. You see, his parents wanted to continue going to the synagogue, and as they were being questioned, they were reading the facial expressions and the body language of the Pharisees, and they knew that if they were too strong in their response, they wouldn't be able to go and worship anymore. So they, they answered very carefully. 
What a terrible thing that these folks couldn't just sit out in the street and openly praise God. Our son, which was blind, is now seeing. Praise God. That's what the Pharisees do. When everything, anything good's happening, they've got something to criticize. My, my friends, please don't be like the Pharisees. Don't be fault finders and don't be critical. That is one of the key things about the Pharisees. They find fault. And if that describes you in your heart, you need to repent and you need to get that right. Because even God's people can be guilty of being like a Pharisee. I gave you a spot to say amen there, but it's okay. And so you find the continuance of the story is, you know, basically they said, you know, he let him speak for himself. We, we weren't there when it happened. You know, in verse number 23, therefore said his parents, he is of age, ask him. Then again, they called the man that was blind and said unto him, give God the praise. We know that this man was, is a sinner. And he answered and said, you know, be careful how you answer people when they say something to you. This man was very careful in his response. He, they said, this, we know this guy's a sinner. And he said, I don't know if he's a sinner. He said, whether he be a sinner or no, I don't know. I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. <laughs> the proof's in the pudding, baby. <laughs> then, say, then said they to him again, what did, he, what did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and ye did not hear. Wherefore would ye hear it again? Will ye also be his disciples? What a great question. Are you guys going to be his disciples if I tell you again what he did for me? (laughs) Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we be Moses' disciples. We know that God spake unto Moses. As for this fellow, we know not whence he is. The man answered and said unto them, Why herein is a marvelous thing that ye know not from whence he is? And yet he hath opened mine eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? This, this guy sounds like he's a preacher. He answered in the face of these guys and said, listen, it hasn't even been heard since this world started that somebody who was born blind has now received their sight. But the Bible says that they reviled him, which leads us not only to the controversy, but when Jesus passes by, I'm here to tell you, there's going to be some persecution and rejection. You know, everything didn't go hunky-dory for this family and for this man. When he took a stand for the Lord, in verse number 34, then answered and, then answered and said unto him, they answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins. Notice their condescending attitude. I'm better than you. You think you were born blind? You were altogether born in sins? This came at, you know, the same question the disciples asked the Lord, the Pharisees held to that. Must have been a sin problem. You need to be careful to think that you know everything. And that goes for us seasoned veterans too. One thing that you should know when you get older is the more you think you know, the more you don't. Especially when it comes to those hidden things. You can't always see beyond the surface. You may think you know, and there have been some times in my life when I really thought I had the corner on some manner of truth, some manner of situation that I'd, I had a judgment, I'd made a judgment on something, and a couple years after I'd made a judgment on something, I said, oh, my soul, how wrong I was. I am a finite being. I am a man. And I, all my thoughts are not sacred. All my thoughts are not right. Some of you have traveled a great distance doctrinally since you came to the Lord. 
You were either right back then or you're right now, but you're not always right. We are fallible. That's why we need to look to the Lord. That's why He is perfect. He is holy. We can rest in Him. And we need to look into His Word. But there is persecution and rejection. They basically took this man and said, You are born in sin. You going to teach us? You going to teach us anything? And the Bible says they cast him out. You notice, somebody that Jesus did something good for was cast out by the religious crowd of the day. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and look what he does. And when he found him, I want to tell you something. When men cast you out, Jesus knows exactly where you are. I preach a message titled, God Knows Where You Are. You know, when, when Pharaoh was bathing down at the river, and he wanted Moses to go and smite that water and turn it into blood, he knew exactly where Pharaoh was. I don't think Pharaoh was posting his schedule anywhere when he was going down to the river to take a bath. But apparently God knew his schedule. You know, in 1 Kings chapter 21, there was a guy named Naboth, and, and, and he was killed by Ahab and Jezebel. And, and, and after he took possession of his vineyard, you know, there was no schedule being posted on the internet where, where, Nab- where, where Ahab was. Ahab went down to Naboth's vineyard to start picking some of that fruit that his evil wife got for him. And he told Elijah, hey, get, get down to Naboth's vineyard. And you go and tell that Ahab that there's a day coming where there's going to be some hungry dogs and angry birds. You know, all I could say is this, God knows exactly where to find you. God knows where to find you. There's going to be persecution and rejection. When when the Lord saw that this guy or, or heard that this guy had been cast out, he went and he found this man. You know, when you find that somebody's being rejected for truth, I want to tell you something. If you take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to be rejected by the world. But when you come into this place, you should be received. If there's any place where you feel at home for believing and, and talking about the truth, it should be the church. It's one of the only places that we as God's people fit in. Isn't that right? If you believe the truth, if you believe the Bible, this is one of the only places that you can come. You know, sometimes people get saved and they turn away from false religion. Their family tries to go through these interventions to get them from turning. Well, don't go there. It's a cult down there and and this, that, and the other. And you can't believe that. Oh, they only preach out of that Bible. They believe that Bible more than the traditions and things like that. You're going to be rejected by people. Do you realize that there are people in Middle Eastern countries that when they turn to the Lord and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that their family disowns them? But you know what they gain? They gain a different family. They gain a different family. They become a part of the family of God. This should be a place where we receive people. But, the, you know, not the, not the Pharisees. It was a place of persecution and rejection. They cast him out of there. Now, Jesus comes to this man. Aren't you thankful? He comes to this man, and, and, and he doesn't recognize him. You know why? Because the guy couldn't see when Jesus met him. He could hear his voice, but he couldn't see him. When Jesus spit on the ground and anointed his eyes, he couldn't see there either. He said, go wash in the pool. Jesus wasn't there when he got back. He didn't know what Jesus looked like. And so when Jesus finds the guy, Jesus heard they cast him out in verse 35. And when they found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? That is a requirement to get saved, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Dost thou believe on the Son of God? Great question. He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. He's like, you've seen me. You're talking with me now. And notice what takes place. He says, Lord, I believe. 
This, Lord, I believe, is necessary for salvation. Some of you have never come to Christ and never said, Lord, I believe. You can't get saved without believing on the Lord. So our next point, point number five, is there should be a receiving, believing in faith when the Lord finds you or when the Lord passes by. doesn't have to be. Plenty of times the Lord passes by and makes himself known to people and they turn away and they're lost. This man had to believe. He said, Lord, I believe. You realize that was my very salvation prayer? You realize it was the Spirit of God showing mercy to me as I, I'd heard preaching all my life when I was a kid. I knew how Jesus went to the cross and died for me. I, I knew that his blood was shed. I had prayed the sinner's prayer several times. I'd been baptized five times before I got saved. I knew that baptistry water. I, I, I was going through the motions. I was going down there. I wanted to be saved, but I could not understand the concept of faith when I was a child. And as I pled with the Lord when I was getting saved, I said, Lord, what's wrong? I've prayed the sinner's prayer. I've said the right words. What am I missing? It was almost like the Spirit of God said, you haven't believed. You haven't believed on me. And I said, Lord, I believe. You know what I was believing? I was believing that as a repentant sinner, the Lord wouldn't cast me out. The Bible says, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. There's not a person in this room today who, if you're a repentant sinner, that the Lord would say, no, I'm not going to take you. There's not a person in this room who could come to Christ and the Lord said, I won't forgive you. The Lord forgives everybody. And the other thing I was believing was when the the Lord said, come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I was believing that he said he wouldn't turn me away. He said, come, and I've come. And I just said, Lord, I believe. And as I called unto God in faith, he came into my never dying soul and gave me peace that passeth all understanding. And only God can do that. And I didn't need any assurance from the pastor. I didn't need assurance from mommy and daddy. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell you as a soul winner or somebody witnesses to someone to try to give anybody assurance that they're saved. In fact, only a few times in the Bible does somebody in the New Testament say, I'm confident that you had faith. And that was after observing their life for a long period of time. Like when Paul said, I'm convinced that you, Timothy, have the same faith as your mom and your grandma. But now we see a new witnessing effort today where, hey, if I heard you pray the prayer, you must be saved. I'm here to tell you as living proof, you can pray as many prayers as you want. Prayers don't save you. Jesus saves you. And it's not asking Christ to save you, it's believing on Christ to save you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. When this man said, Lord, I believe, there was faith There was a reception. And then also, lastly, when the Lord passes by, there should be worship and there will be worship to those who he touches in this way. You don't think this man who received his sight after being born blind was willing to bow before the Lord and give him everything. Oh, Lord, thank you for what you've done for me. Some of you today, when you came to church, came burdened with your problems. And I'm here to tell you, this world is full of tribulation. Don't think for a second that I'm minimizing people's affliction and suffering. There are people in this room who are going through untold physical suffering. But I'm here to tell you something. Jesus said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You're going to go through tribulation in this world today. But Jesus overcame the world. 
I hope when you came to church today, you came to church to say something to the Lord. Thank you, Lord. As we preached about the altar, when somebody came to the altar in the Old Testament, first they were coming to the altar and giving their sacrifice and the shed blood of a lamb or a turtle dove, and it was there to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for my shortcomings, my sins, my failures. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. The other reason that they would come to the altar is to say, thank you, Lord. Every time we come to the Lord's house, it ought to be a time where we put Jesus front and center and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for saving my soul. Some of you come today with heavy burdens. You may be like this blind man who felt rejected. You know, it's amazing. This is almost like his parents are living at home and their son's out there begging. He wasn't living at home with his parents. He was all alone. As Jesus is walking away from people trying to stone him, he finds this poor soul and said, I, today, am going to help you. And I hope today that there's somebody in this room today and Jesus has passed by your way. You know that you're lost and you need to get saved. Won't you come and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? It'll be the greatest day of your life when the Lord blesses you with peace in your heart. You can only be forgiven when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed as we prepare to, to, to have these verses of invitation. Maybe the Lord has spoken to your heart today and maybe there's something going on in your life and you'd like to use the altar for what it's for. These steps up at the front is a place where you can come and kneel before the Lord. It's a good thing to kneel before God and pray. Some of you may have a special burden. You may be praying for a wayward loved one, a grandchild, a child, spouse. Some parents might need to come and pray for their young people. Others might need to come and get saved like I did one day at an old-fashioned altar. Say, I have never been saved, but I'm asking you, Lord, now, I'm trusting in you now to save my soul. If that's your case, as Brother John sings this first verse, won't you come? Won't you come today? Are you dealing with something difficult in your life? The story of this blind man should show you. There's no problem that's too hard for the Lord. The Lord can meet you right where you're at. See how the Lord said, 
he anointed his eyes and said, now go wash in that pool. The man wouldn't have received his sight unless he washed in the pool. In the Old Testament, there was a guy named Naaman, told by the prophet to go and wash in the Jordan. He got mad because the Jordan was a dirty river. There were cleaner rivers where he came from. But after he got over himself and he got down in that water and did exactly what the Lord said, the Lord recovered him of his leprosy. This man obeyed the Lord. You, you know, you'll obey the Lord when you have faith, when you believe Him. You have to believe the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be saved. You also have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to walk with Him. This walk is a walk of faith. The Bible says that the just shall live by faith. The Lord spoke to you during this service. We invite you to come as we sing this next verse. saints of God said, Amen. Amen. Aren't you thankful? Thankful to be in the house of the Lord and thank you for being here today. If you're visiting with us at Metropolitan, we hope and pray that you sense the spirit of God and the friendliness of our church. You've graced us with your presence. We have some traveling all the way from the state of Wisconsin to come to be with us in church today. We're very privileged to have you all here. We've had some returning visitors today. And uh, I just want to let you know, we're so thankful that you've chosen to worship with us here. And we hope that your day is blessed. Please be uh, aware that we're having services tonight at 6 o'clock. We're going to have a camp meeting following the evening service. And there are several other things that are going on today. Please be in your place. I believe we have choir practice at? 445. 445. And so uh, we want to encourage you to be back. We're going to be traveling again through the book of First Samuel tonight. And we're going to be covering the rise and fall of the first king of Israel, whose name was Saul. So a lot of lessons that we learned through how he was called and what God did with him and then how he fell. And so I pray that tonight you'll be back tonight at uh, 6 o'clock for our evening service. It'll be a blessing to you if you're able to come. All right, we're going to pray and we're going to be dismissed. Can I call on Ethan Wellborn to dismiss the service in prayer, please? Father God, heaven, thank you for blessing us. Thank you for blessing us this preaching word, God. Thank you for everything you've done for us. Thank you for working in our hearts. Thank you with us today as we move off for Thank you with us tonight. Speak your more word. God, please be with us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.